You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, well, I don't know what it was like for you in your house growing up, uh, but for me in my household, uh, we were gift givers. My parents loved uh, giving gifts as a way to kind of communicate love. So things like birthdays, Christmas, really big deals in our house. It, it was a, a big thing for us. Now, uh, I don't know if, I feel like I just need to admit this because probably my mom's watching at home right now, but I was not uh, uh, an easy kid to buy gifts for. I don't know if it was because I was like uh, hyper literal as a kid or I didn't have like a good imagination or something. I don't know what it was, but I, I remember back, it was tough getting me a thing that was going to do the thing inside of me. I remember uh, it's mid 90s. Um, Ghostbusters was the jam at that point, and my parents that Christmas bought me a proton pack. If you don't know what a proton pack is, uh, it is a pack of protons on your back, and it's got an electric wire that comes to the gun, and the gun shoots the, the lightning, and it captures the ghost, and it puts it in the thing. It's a proton pack. So they got it for me, and I remember opening it, as a kid, like nine years old, and I get it out, I've got the blue pack, and I put it on, I get the cable, I'm holding the gun, and I just had that sober, you're nine and you're coming terms with like the, the way the world works moment where I was just like, this does nothing. <laughs> this doesn't do anything, this doesn't do anything. I mean, you know, my mom's super sweet. No, but baby, you pull the trigger and it kills the ghost. No, mom, it does nothing. When I pull this trigger, Lightning supposed to spiral out of this thing and kill something, but for me to do that, I had to take this yellow foam tube and stick it in the end of my gun and point it at things like this, and it's nothing. This is a waste of my time. I, I, I couldn't take it. The, the thing that drove me the most crazy uh, was always, to this day, the stickers. You know what I mean? The stickers that go on like a thing, like that show the gauges, like all the things that are happening on there. I couldn't take it because those stickers are lies. This isn't a battery pack analyzer, Dad. This is a piece of paper that is lying about being one. So don't give this to me. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And here's the thing. I'd seen the commercials. I know how this works. The spiral comes out. It zaps Slimer. He gets it in. And what I'm holding is not that. I don't know what it is, but it's not that. My weapon didn't perform as advertised. I, I thought I was going to do this. Definitely didn't. Didn't perform as advertised. Now, I'm telling you this for a couple of reasons. One is I'm clearly still working through some of these things. So, but, but the other reason is this. If you have been in our Colossians series for any length of time, you know that last week Paul gave us the first big warning of the letter. And the big warning was don't be taken captive by false teachers. Don't be taken captive by these empty philosophies. And today he's telling us why? Because they don't perform as advertised. They don't do what they say they're going to do. So look at verse 23 with me. It says this. These, these, these false teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are, listen, of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's saying, you want to grow as a Christian? Do you, do, you want to, do you want to put to death your flesh, that part of you that's hostile toward God, that resists God? Do you want that thing to be put to death? 
what you're being sold has the appearance of something that can do that. It it can put this thing to death, but it doesn't work. These weapons don't perform as advertised. And if that's true, this is urgent for us today because whether you're watching at home or you're, you're here in the room, I'm assuming that if you're here, you're raising your hand and saying, I wanna put my flesh to death. I I do want to grow as a Christian. I'm here because I I want to grow. I want to see that sinful nature die. So that's what we're all stacking our hands on. And if you want to put your flesh to death, the question that we have to answer this morning is, is the weapon that you're holding in your hand able to do what you think it's going to do? Can it actually kill what you want? Or does it not perform as advertised? That's what we have to sort out. Is this a counterfeit? Or is it the real thing? So this morning, to figure that out, we're going to look at three things together. We're going to look at why these, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what these counterfeit weapons are, why they fail us, and the only weapon that works. So what, what these weapons are, why they fail us, and the one weapon that works, okay? Uh, so let's talk about this together. Last week, again, if you were here, Rodney uh, showed us that these false teachings in Colossae were really uh, uh, just a, a mixed bag of beliefs, that's what was happening, meaning it was Christianity blended with a couple different worldviews, a couple different uh, religious systems, a couple different spiritual approaches. Those things came together, they kind of syncretized, and now you had this weird sort of third substance out there. So on the one hand, there were a group of folks who were teaching the importance of keeping and holding to Jewish rituals, rules, and customs. That you, that you gotta hold on to these if you wanna be full and filled. That to be fully Christian, you, you've, you've, gotta, you've gotta have Christ, but then you, you need to make sure you're holding on to these customs, these rituals, these rules. Look at, look at uh, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. So I don't know if it, you see this right away, but all that language right there is pulled right out of the Old Testament. There's a number of spots in the Old Testament that use all three of those words together. Festivals, new moon, Sabbath. It's, it's Paul's way to say the things that were commanded in the Old Testament for the Jews to obey in order to be complete, in order to be pleasing to God, those types of things. You have to hold on to those to get fulfilled. Uh, he was say, they were saying things like uh, verse 21. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. What they're saying is, that in, in the restricting of my body, in saying no to certain things, yes to certain things, limiting myself, doing these rules and rituals, in the restricting of my body, that's how my flesh will be put to death. That's what they were teaching. Paul uses a Greek word here in verse 20 to talk about these things. That's where we get our English word dogma from. So these are dogmatic, rule-following religious teachers who said the way of being accepted before God is to obey these set of rules. Does that make sense? Freedom is found in our performance. That's what they were teaching. Freedom is found in our performance. And in many ways, this is, this is exactly what so many of us today, like 2,000 years later, are wrestling with as well, right? My path to acceptance before God is by me being as good as I can, by keeping all these sets of rules, by being as sinless as I can. That is, that is how I'm going to be able to uh, 
to be pleasing to him and kill my flesh by, by being performance-based. This is performance-based religion, if you want to think about it like that. <laughs> so that was one set of teaching. Now, there were others who saw it differently. They said, no, the best way to God, the best way to nearness to him is not through our performance per se, but it's through our experiences, our spiritual experiences, not religious rigor or behavior modification, but through subjective spiritual encounters. Like what we really need to connect with God is some supernatural divine connection that's happening here. This is how we'll truly be whole. This is how we'll grow. So it's not freedom being found in my performance. Now this is freedom found in my experience. Freedom found in our experience is what they're saying is the way to wholeness, the way to killing flesh. We connect like that. Verse 18 says it like this. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. They're saying, hey, Christ is good. You gotta have Christ. But also, there's more to this spiritual realm that you need to tap into if you wanna be whole. You've gotta get more. There's more going on. It says the worship of angels. Commentators tell us that it was a very common practice in, in the ancient world to uh, invoke angels as a means to ward off evil spirits in your community. That was a very normal thing to do. They were, they were even incorporating things like severe treatment of their body, fasting, those sort of things to exacerbate these mystical experiences they were having. I'll do these things in order to get me to that higher plane, to touch that higher power, to get involved with the divine. I'm going up like this. It's, it's experience that I'm saying is above all else. Now, before some of you write this off as like, this is just like some weird cultic thing that was happening 2,000 years ago, uh, l- let me just say this. Go on a date tonight in downtown Dallas and walk around the shops. And what are you going to see? You're going to see in Lower Greenville, and Bishop Arts, and in Deep Ellum, you're gonna see crystal shops, meditation centers, yoga studio, studios, hydroponic shops. You're gonna see all these things, and all of these things are meant to help you access what? The supernatural, to find positive energies, right? To get in touch with, with the divine, to have an experience. We're prioritizing experience. Th- those things weren't even there in those shops 10 years ago, but there's a resurgence of them now, and this resurgence is happening in the Christian community. So, so I can list off a number of like, pseudo-Christian podcasts right now that are at the top of the charts, uh, podcasts like The Liturgist and those types of things that are all falling right here within this worldview. We're deconstructing religious norms. Uh, we're relativizing the objective. We are, we're emphasizing the mystical. Freedom is found in my subjective experience. Do you see that? And this is coming into the church. I personally have had a, a lot of conversations with a number of Christians who are saying, I love Jesus, but I'm trying to tap into this next realm, this next higher thing that's out there. This is a very real thing. And what's interesting about both of these sides is both of these positions, the kind of the performance-based religious duty system over here and also like the personal mystical experience side over here, both of them are, are identifying a, a problem. Both of them are, are looking inside themselves and they're saying, there's something unhealthy in me that I see that needs to die. And both of them are providing a solution. They're saying, and I think this is the way to kill it. And what's fascinating is that Paul says that both of these approaches, the the performance-based sort of religious duty and also spiritual experientialism, both of these views are actually counterfeit weapons. They're counterfeit. They don't work. They don't perform as advertised. 
They look on the outside wise, like he says in verse 23, but neither of them have any value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't work. They don't work. How so? How, how don't they work? In what ways do they fail us? Well, three ways. I'm going to give you three ways that, that uh, Paul gives us in the text. The first is this. Both produce pride. That's the first way. Both produce pride. Uh, think about it like this. The, the performance-based mindset, the, the duty, I've got I've to obey these set of laws and, and then I'm okay, then my flesh is dead. That performance-based mindset is, at its very core, me-centered, isn't it? It has to be, because by definition, you're always looking at what you have or have not accomplished. You're always looking inside you to see, have I achieved this or not? And if that is your outlook, I mean, it makes total sense. You'll always be looking down on others who aren't living up to the thing that you're excelling at. You'll always be looking at others who fail and, and belittling them and judging them. I'll show you what I mean. Paul gives two warnings in this passage. Uh, the first one shows up in, in 16. And just listen to the first set of words he gives in this warning. Verse 16 says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. You see, they, they saw the Colossians, these false teachers saw the Colossians failing to maintain their preferred religious system. They saw them out there and they saw what they were able to do and they said, you guys are knuckleheads. We're getting it right, so come along with us. They, it says they were judging. Don't let anyone pass judgment. These guys were judging them. This is how it works. When you're doing great, what always happens? When I'm obeying my system, my, my, world, my sort of religious code, when I'm obeying that, everyone else who's not looks low to me, right? It's very easy for me to see other people and go, dude, why can't you get it together? Why, why are you still struggling with it? This is the sin. Obey these things and you'll be good. I am. How come you're not? That's exactly what was happening here. It produces, this, this performance-based system produces a me-centered worldview. It produces pride every time it, it, because it always focuses on what you've achieved. Now, ironically, you would think that the solution would be to abandon the rules, right? To, Maybe what we need to do is let go of our, our sort of moral grounding and everything, and let's ground everything in subjective spiritual experience. It's just what I experienced. Maybe that's the way to solve the pride thing. There were folks saying that, but Paul says, no, actually. Paul says subjective spiritual experience has the exact same effect as the legalists do. The exact same thing. Look at verse 18. Same, same phrase at the beginning. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. That word disqualify could be translated condemn you. He's saying the same thing here. He's, he's saying this group of people, the, the, the mystics, they're also judging you. And you don't need to let that happen either. It's the progressives who are doing it this time. Folks who, quote, insist on asceticism and the worship of angels. Now, you probably are reading the ESV and, and it says asceticism there, but m did you know most of the time uh, in your New Testament, this word is translated not as asceticism, but as humility or humility of mind. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating. Here's a group of people that they are calling their own religious system humility. And yet here they are, and the defining characteristic about these guys is they're judging you and their humility. Don't you find that ironic? 
Like they're, they're looking at you and they're saying, why can't you be as humble as us? Why can't you let go of your system as well as us? Do you see how it, it, it has a way of producing pride? Why? Because now my growth isn't grounded in my performance. It's grounded in my, my experience. And if you don't have my experience, all of a sudden I do get to sit up above you because I've had and accessed something, I've tapped into something that you haven't tapped into. It says that they go on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Paul's saying these folks are inflated. <laughs> that, that, they, that they've had these awesome spiritual encounters, right? They've got, like, been caught up in the third heaven and they can't wait to get in the room and tell you like what they've seen what they've heard, like they're, they're, in, they're VIPs in every space they go into and they love it, Paul says. It has a way of inflating, even when you let go of the rules. Do you see how you're chasing a new thing that gives you a reason to inflate yourself? Now, because I've tapped into this higher level, this higher power, now I get to be above you, but for a different set of reasons. That's exactly what's happening here. But, but I want you to see this, the gospel, is the only worldview that avoids the ditch of pride. Because in the gospel, on the one hand, God says that I'm chosen and loved by God entirely apart from my performance. Right? There's nothing that, it's, in fact, it's in spite of what I've done that God approves and accepts me because he looks at Jesus and what he's done on my behalf. So I have no room to boast, Paul says, in what I've accomplished. The gospel says to the legalist, you have nothing to celebrate except Christ. Pride goes away. But at the very same time, on the other hand, to the mystic, the gospel says this, hey, my connection to the supernatural is complete the moment I trust in Jesus. Do you know? It's, it's, it's entirely, it's not like, it's not like uh, going to a club where like you're in the doors, but like if you paid a little extra, you'd be in that VIP room in the back and Kanye's back there and you wanna hang out with him. It's not like that, right? Pa Paul's saying, once you're in the doors, you have total access. Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us, listen, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we all, Everyone in this room who trusts in Christ, we all equally share in the perks of being sons and daughters of God. The gospel is the only way that avoids the ditch of pride. You see that? So the, the first way that these counterfeit weapons, they fail us, is they fail us by producing pride in us. And he's warning us against it. He's saying, don't, don't follow them because of that. But second, they both miss the source. They both miss the source. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if, if we think about these competing philosophies as weapons, right? That's kind of been our analogy that, that we use to kill our sin. Paul is about to say, the weapons you're holding are pointed at the wrong target. They're aiming at the wrong thing. They're not killing what you think they're killing. Look at verse 20 with me. Paul says this, if with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of this world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit yourself to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Listen to this, referring to things that all perish when they are used. Now, I wonder when you hear that, if, if that rings any bells for you, if that sounds familiar. Hopefully, it reminds you of something that Jesus said in the Gospels. He said it in a number of places, but one place in particular is Mark chapter seven, 
verse 15, where he says this. Listen, listen to his words. Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person, these things are what defile him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that the source of our problem is not outside of us. It's not at the level of food and, and drink. It's not outside of us, but it's what's inside of us. It's what's happening in our heart that then comes out of us in, in sin. It comes out, not in. The problem isn't outside of us. The problem is down in our flesh and in our heart. Do you see that? So alcohol is not the alcoholic's big problem. Their heart is their big problem. Alcohol is an occasion for their heart to find something other than Jesus more satisfying. Internet access is not why you're addicted to porn. Your heart is why you're addicted to porn. And you can burn your phone in a fire and still have lustful thoughts, right? We know this, the, the problem, it's, it's, it's not that we shouldn't flee sin and shouldn't take practical steps. Paul's just saying, don't ground the problem in something out there. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. It's not in the level of food or drink. It's at the level of your flesh and your heart. It's inside your chest. That is the war the Christian fights. And these weapons aren't pointed at the right target. Performance-based religion misses this every time. We're always pointing at the wrong thing, thinking it's outside when the problem is inside. Now look, this isn't just like a religious legalist problem either. Can I step on some toes for a minute? This is health and wellness culture. Our culture has relocated the source of our problems from our, our flesh and our heart to our mind and our body. That is where the new problem center in the health and, and wellness culture is located. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, a couple members of our church here. So, uh, this is Zach and Sarah, people. Say hi, Zach and Sarah. Sweet folks. Uh, Zach uh, is, uh, gosh, how do I say this? He, he doesn't always have it all together. Um, my man Zach over here, uh, just his habits aren't what they need to be. He's, uh, he's on the struggle bus when it comes to um, his diet and exercise. It's just not, there's no routine there. He's got a couple kids, so his sleep schedule's a little bit off. Like he's not getting the, the necessary eight hours he needs. Zach's a little bit uh, of a mess. Consequently, uh, man, his, his flesh, all this, all this yucky, you know, black stuff in here, it's, it's kind of all over the place. He shows up and, uh, to the party all the time for him. He, when you hang out with him, kind of an irritable person. I mean, it's, it's easy to spot. Zach's got some, uh, yeah, he, he can be a bit of a hot head when you, when you catch him, you know. Uh, this, this is Zach. Now, now, Sarah, on the other hand, this, this girl, guys, this girl, just a bastion of physical health, exercises every day CrossFit, more like BossFit. You feel me? This, this girl right here, she, uh, uh, she has reached ketosis. I didn't know if you knew it was possible, but she has hit the nirvanic plane of ketosis. Uh, uh, gluten, gone, gut health, glorious. This is Sarah, y'all. I mean, she is living her best life. And Sarah, uh, consequently, uh, has got her emotions pretty in check. 
This is a self-controlled girl. Uh, She's got some irritable roommates, but she's not irritable. uh, She's actually kind of sweet as pie when she's around him. It's actually really pleasant to be around Sarah. And uh, and Sarah's actually feeling pretty good about herself. She's looking at herself. She's going, man, my flesh, all that mud in me, that's that's been killed. Congrats, Sarah, right? Or, no. (laughs) Clearly, you need this lesson. Is her flesh killed? Is her flesh killed? Do you know the only difference between old Zach over here and Sarah? The only difference. Everything that I put in these bottles is the exact same. The only difference is Sarah's life hadn't been shaken up in a bit. It hadn't been shaken up until she gets a little off her sleep schedule. And... uh, she forgets that exercise routine that one week and uh, uh, she sneaks a little bit of Ben and Jerry's and all of a sudden, uh, Sarah ain't looking so hot anymore. And Sarah's looking at herself and, and she's going, the, this mud, this flesh that's, that's uh, what, I thought I killed this stuff in me. What is, what's all this stuff that's showing up in, in my heart? That's, I thought I was godlier than this. I I thought I'd kill my flesh. Can I tell you something? No. Sarah didn't kill her flesh. She just made some choices in her life that let the mud settle. You're not irritable because there's gluten in your diet. You're irritable because you have a sinful nature you haven't crucified. And the goal of the Christian life is not to change my physical circumstances such that the mud settles. The goal of the Christian life is to get rid of the mud and changing things that are physical have no power against your flesh. That's what Paul's saying. It can't get rid of the mud. It may be good for your health, but it can't kill your flesh. And that's because, lastly, these things are simply shadows. They're shadows. So after talking about these rules and rituals that that were being taught, Paul says this, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now let me ask you something. Let's think about that analogy for a moment. How is it that a shadow exists? What causes a shadow? A shadow exists because there's something real out there, something physical, tangible, that's casting it. That's how a shadow shows up. It only exists because there is an object that is casting that shadow. So it's not the real thing. It just points to the real thing. And what Paul's saying is the things that you are thinking define you, matter the most, help you in this life are only pointing to the thing that can help and define you and change your life. That's all that's happening. And you're holding on to a shadow and a shadow can't 
help you. Or maybe it'd be helpful to think about it like this. Our religious observances and our law keeping, that sort of thing, they're like an ambulance when you've been seriously injured. When you've been seriously injured, what happens? The ambulance shows up and it keeps you alive long enough to get you to the surgeon. But you need to get to that surgeon. And what some of us have done is see, we've gotten in the back of the ambulance and we started driving to the hospital. And as we're driving there on the gurney, we're looking around and we're going, you know, this place is, this is kind of amazing. I look, look, at, look at all these lights and look at that tube. What does this button do? I love this place. And we get to the hospital and we're just telling the driver, hey, take another lap, man. This is, I, I am happy in the ambulance. What's weird about that? What's weird is this, an ambulance isn't there to heal you. It's just there to keep you alive long enough to get you to the one who can. And what Paul's saying is you've fallen in love with the ambulance, church. But the surgeon is here now. The surgeon is here. So keeping the Sabbath and doing these rites and rituals and festivals, they were all meant from the beginning to take us to the surgeons. They were, they were always just a shadow pointing us to the substance. But now Paul's saying, he's here. The substance has come. The surgeon has come. So we're not obligated, for instance, to keep the Passover festival because the Passover lamb has arrived. Jesus has finally come. So I don't celebrate the Passover. I celebrate him. He's here for me. Now, we're not obligated to keep the Sabbath as a moral necessity, though there's wisdom in resting. There's wisdom in that. We're not obligated as moral necessity to keep Sabbath anymore because Christ, Scripture says, has become our Sabbath rest. He is Lord of the Sabbath. We learn to rest watching him work on our behalf. It's what, it's, it's what Hebrews 4 is all about, that, that Christ is our Sabbath. So I don't hold to the Sabbath. I hold to the substance. He is it for us. These are shadows. They're not the substance. And listen, a shadow can't help you. A shadow can't help you. It can't do anything. What you and I need more than anything, if we want our flesh killed, is a weapon that actually works. And th this is the last point. The one weapon that works. You know what it is? It's faith exercised in Jesus Christ. Faith exercise in Jesus. I get this from verse 19. Paul uh, is rebuking the false teachers and then listen to what he accuses them of. It's in this, these first handful of words. Verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, that's us, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The reason you and I are not seeing growth in our life is that we've let go of the one who causes it. The reason you're not seeing change in your life spiritually is because you've let go of the head, the one who causes the growth. Do you see? Only, only in holding fast to Jesus only in trusting the promises that he's given us in his word, only seeking his help. That's the only way we will grow, church. It's the only way. 
or to say it negatively, holding fast to Jesus is the only way we kill our flesh. There's no other way than faith expressed in Jesus Christ. That's it. So here's what that means for us. When you sin tomorrow and you give in to lustful thoughts, and for so many of us, that's going to happen tomorrow, maybe today, you don't have to berate yourself and then spend the rest of your week doing penance to make up for it. That's a wrong way of thinking. That's performance-based religion. It's not the gospel. Christian, you know what you do? You repent to God. You say, I, I don't want that in my life. You turn from it, and then you spend the rest of your time remembering that Jesus himself cleanses you from all unrighteousness, like First John says. And then you move on in obedience and faith. You hold fast to the head. When irritability and moodiness shows up in you, you don't just tweak your ketones for the day. That's only letting the mud settle. You take a moment and you remember how infinitely much God has forgiven you so that when you go back into that room with that aggravating person or that hurtful person or those people that are just getting on your nerves, you can extend the same forgiveness to them as you've been forgiven. This is how we fight sin. We hold fast to the head. We cling to the promises of Jesus. We put our faith in Christ. When gluttony beckons you to, to gorge yourself and stuff to yourself, you, you leave the kitchen. You do something physical. Yes, you leave the kitchen, but then you go and you quote to yourself, John 6, 35, Jesus answered and said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And you feast on Christ through that verse, believing the promise that Jesus is to your soul what bread is to your belly. He satisfies me. He satisfies me. So I'm gonna stay right here until he satisfies my soul. This is the only weapon that will kill your flesh. Not some spiritual lofty experience over here and not some religious performance rule ritual keeping. The only hope you have is faith in the person and promises of Jesus for you. Do you see? This is how we fight sin. This is how we do it. We hold fast to the head. And when this happens, everything changes. Pride is, is now destroyed. Why? Because I'm not the center of my theology. It's not me performing well. It's him performing well for me so I cling to him. I'm free from pride, I boast in him now. The real source of my problems is now being attacked. It's not food and drink out there, it's not just a screen over there, it's, it's my heart. I'm pointing the weapon at me now. I'm actually targeting the real problem. And look, Jesus isn't overlooked anymore for a shadow. I'm not holding to something that, can, that is promising to help and can't. I'm going to the substance. I'm not staying in the ambulance. I'm running to the surgeon. He can actually do something for me. He's right at the center of us. We hold fast to the head. Church, hold fast to Jesus. It is your only weapon against the flesh. Hold fast to him. Hold fast. Let's pray. Father, we 
acknowledge that your word is true. And we admit that we regularly grab onto shadows to help us. But there is no power in a shadow. The shadow is only preaching the gospel to us about the substance that's coming. And Father, I don't know where, where everybody is in this room, but I, I know for me, I'm so quick to grab onto that shadow and feel good about me and look to my accomplishments or, or try to achieve some new spiritual insight or, or height in my walk when, when all the while, all I need is to cling to Jesus and his promises. And God, we're in this room because we're saying we wanna grow. We want our flesh to die. And to the degree that we've held on to, to lies, to the degree that we've held on to false religion and empty philosophies, we repent and we say, will you help us hold to Jesus alone? He's our, the only person that we can build our life on. Just him, just him. Help us to learn that lesson today. Even as we sing these songs, God, may you bring out of us unction and desire for this to be true, not just in our theology, but when the rubber meets the road on Monday, that when the new temptation comes, we actually are fighting with the right weapon. Will you help us as we sing and worship you to get this truth down into us, we pray. We love you, Lord. We need you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.